everybody. Welcome back to the Spookyzy Podcast. I'm your host, Nia, and I'm here with my co-host, Austin. My eyes been twitching all day. Oh, shit. Oh, God. <laughs> anyway, I digress. <laughs> um, it has been a while. Thank, thank you guys so much for joining us again. This week, we're doing our finale of the Georgia Tan story. If you haven't listened to... Part two. Yeah, part two. If you haven't listened to um, where we went over the horrible crimes that she committed, uh, go ahead and check out episode 27. Devil herself. What? The devil herself. The yeah. devil herself. Mm-hmm. Sorry, the eyes bother me. Go ahead and check out episode 27. Um, and we go over how she basically was flipping babies. Just selling children in the 20s and 30s and 40s and just getting away with it. But this week, we're going to go we're going to go ahead and talk about the investigation and what happened to Georgia Tan. But before that, uh, for those of you 21 and up, Austin has a wonderful cocktail recipe for you. We got brandy, bitches. It's brandy, bitch. It's brandy, bitch. That's not that's not a Mm-mm. that's not a Britney or a Brandy song. So, you know, that's... Wait, no, that's not the that, tequila no, song. No. Yeah. You no. Tequila. Brandy. Anyway. We're going to New Orleans. Traveling back to the thirties. So around the time that we were talking, this case is happening. Yeah, well, at one point, this bitch was selling babies at this. At this point, yeah, maybe. This cocktail was made by one of the babies she sold. I, I, I doubt it. I highly doubt it because this was the 30s. She, didn't, she started in 24. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, this was originated by Mr. Walter White. Bergeron? Bergeron? Bergerman? Bergerman? It's it's, the, it's Creole salsa. Like, who? I mean, I'm, I'm probably butchering it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Comes from Mr. Walter, at, you know, last name here, <laughs> uh, who was bartending at the legendary Carousel Bar inside the Hotel Monteleon. Which is in the, uh, I believe it's in the French Quarter. But uh, this is the Vucare, which means Old Square in mm. French, which is referring to the French Quarter. Okay. And uh, yeah, so this is a, this is a sipper. This is Booze Chevy. To the levee. That levee ain't dry. Ain't dry. It's wet. It's moist. All right. Yeah, you know. Okay. Let's not make it crazy. We got it. (laughs) You can stop. Stop. (laughs) Stop. Um, So this joins brandy and a special liqueur from France, Benedictine. Mm-hmm. Which I'll go into a little side note here in a second. Uh, mixed with some rye whiskey, 
some vermouth. So you got brandy and liqueur from France. You got a, a, a sweet red vermouth from Italy. And you got rye whiskey from, you know, just up the Mississippi. All right. You got a little, a little blend of some nations in there. Ooh. All still very caucus. Uh, it is it is boozy, a little bitter, very smooth, just a little touch sweet. Got a little, little, little sugar. Bing. I'm surprised Bing. just a little sugar. I mean, it's it's, it's it's sweet. It's it's sweeter, but it is it's fucking wah. Because I mean, you got brandy in there, you got rye whiskey in there, you got you got sweet vermouth in there, you got you got bitters in there. Mm-hmm. She got some sugar. Too many of these definitely gonna lead to a hangover. So it does. It it is uses a, a it's split base technique. So it has equal the main spirit being equal parts brandy and rye whiskey. Okay. Who could normally, you know, they they steal the show themselves on a normal day, but today they are the all stars in a stellar lineup of performers. Hey now. So your rye is going to provide your spice, that oomph, that heat, that zest. Zest really isn't the right word, but I like it. It's provocative. Um, you know, while your, your brandy's bringing in the sweet notes, the florals, the, the fruits, that candied fruit flavors. You got your botanicals from your uh, vermouth along with your benedictine, which is a recipe handed down from an order of Benedictine monks from like the, I think it was handed over in the like 1500s to, I think it's like the Legrand family or Grande or Grande or how it's Grandy. some French people's family, some rich French people's. Um, but yeah, they, they're very closely guarded recipe. And it's interesting because it's like, a, it's a, botanical liqueur but like none of them stand out to say it's just like a really nice blend kind of honey notes uh like holiday spices anise not really too much on the anise though but you know they're very it's different okay. you can sub it out for things but like you should be able to get benedictine you can get it in the States. It might be hard where you're at, and if it is, you can get B&B mm-hmm. and call it a day. It's a little drier. It's not going to be the exact same, but, I mean, sourcing is everything, and don't go out of your way to try to make one cocktail. I mean, right. And then you get your, your two mix your mixes of, what is it, pay, Paychuns bitters? I can't, again, I never know how to fucking pronounce it. I can never remember and then your agnostra bitters. So your agnostras, you're more, again, you're more floral, uh, earthy, herbal, mm-hmm. bitter. And then your patience has more anise and, again, like fruit notes, sweeter, a little, little lighter of the two. So you get a nice mix. Now, on to the recipe. Now, again, this is a cocktail from forever ago. It's become more popular. It never, New Orleans cocktails never leave New Orleans. They are always on a menu somewhere. Um, they like their booze. They're very proud of their drinks. You go, I mean, and again, if you find yourself in New Orleans, no better place to get one of the New Orleans-based cocktails than the home from which they originate. 
uh, you know, your Sazeracs and all that good stuff. Mm -hmm. So you're going to need three quarter ounce of your preferred rye whiskey. Switch it up, experiment, see what notes give you what, see what you like the most. Just use rye, that's the only importance. Um, three quarter ounce of your preferred cognac. Again, cognac can only come from the cognac region. But yeah, just use any of them. I really, I mean, see what you like. Don't be a poser. They all, they all <laughs> offer, they all offer their own benefits, and they all follow pretty. I wouldn't say similar recipes. They're very different liqueurs, but still, you know, they all, they all follow the same set of rules. You're gonna need three quarter ounce of your preferred sweet vermouth. And you're gonna need your two teaspoons of your Benedictine decor, along with two dashes of your Agnostra bitters, and then two dashes of your Bajan's bitters. Um, this is gonna be easy to make though, because you're gonna put all of that into a mixing container. You're gonna throw some ice in that bitch, and you're gonna spin it. Spin it, stir it, stir it, stir it, stir it. Don't spin it. Spin it, you're gonna make a mess. I was don't, like, spin it. Don't do it that way. Take your straw and stir, 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 stir. Twist, 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 twist. You should still be stirring. <laughs> All right, that should be about good. <laughs> and then you're gonna go ahead and you're gonna strain that over. Strain it into a rocks glass over a big cube, if you have them. Fancy little ice rocks if you got them. Or some shit out of a bag from a gas station. But there you go. Garnish with your garnish with a brandy cherry. Get that cancerous maraschino shit out of here. Get out. Get out of here, red number seven. We don't know you. We don't. Well, we know you too well. You weren't invited to this party. And give it a nice, uh, espressed, flamed orange peel. There you have it. Your Veer Car. Oh, I thank you. Oh, I thank you. So if you guys can recall from last episode, I'm not going to say last week, but last episode. Um, if you can't, just go listen again. Stop this one right now and go listen to it. Yeah, Absolutely. Free play. Right. <laughs> it's right there waiting for you. We don't mind. We can wait. We can wait. So now that you listen to that, welcome back. Again. Again. Um, so between 1924 and 1950, Georgia Tan was estimated to have uh, stolen over 5,000 children with the help of some influential pe influential people like Judge Camille Kelly. Stealing. Stealing. Stealing babies. Mm-hmm. By we, the thousands. We didn't go much into Kelly's background last episode, but I wanted to kind of give more of a, like a well-rounded picture of the type of people that Tan was surrounding herself with. Besides the rich and the famous. Besides the rich and the famous and the powerful. Like, Kelly was definitely that. But it extended but. further into her character of how trash <laughs> these people were that Georgia was working with. Camille Kelly was appointed as a Memphis juvenile court judge in the spring of 1920, despite only ha not really having any real background in law, and also opposing women's rights. You see, run for local office even if you don't think you got a shot. Literally. Get out there, change it. Because this woman had no prior. Not, I mean, she, she, it was reported that she like studied 
some law about, you know, kids. But other than that, like, she had no prior knowledge of it. So, yeah, she was also opposed to women's rights. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. You know. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And uh, the right to vote and to participate in politics whatsoever. But they were like, here. But she's a judge. But she's a judge. Like I said, she didn't have any real background in law or politics or but anything I'm really like that. She had a background in money. She definitely did because she was the founder of the Memphis PTA. She was a socialite. She was the wife of a, a, a up and coming attorney, um, and then she was the daughter of a chair of the surgery of Memphis Medical College. So she came from money. But her as a judge, I could see no conflict of interest ever occurring there. No, because it never did. I never did. No, no, no. She didn't use her 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 power status. That's why we have the three <laughs> branches, Austin. <laughs> Checks and balances or whatever bullshit for they her told own us. Gain. Why would she ever do that? Checks and balances or whatever bullshit. <laughs> so in regards to her lack of legal training, Kelly said, quote, I consider mother <laughs> I'm just picturing Amber Heard's lawyer. <laughs> like, like, I'm picturing, like, same level quality. You know what I mean? Sorry. Justice for Johnny. Um, Justice for Johnny. So Kelly said, quote, I consider motherhood the greatest preparation for the work to which I have been appointed. Um, that... That As a was mom, her. I can be uh, <laughs> I, a I juvenile can, judge. Right. For sure. I, I can definitely take I on the law. I basically am already. Right. You know, judge how these children's futures should pan out. I told my kid's nanny the other day that she needs to punish them more. <laughs> she needs to be more. My strict. own kids, yeah. 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 Oh, I mean, I haven't talked to them in years. No. What are their names? Um, there's the blonde one. Jimothy. Who, who the fuck named their kid? Jim- oh, I did. I, I was high. Can I return them? The I definitely bought them. <laughs> Where's that fucking receipt? Where's the receipt? <laughs> so as one could guess, Kelly uh, was reported to overstep her authority. So inadequate at her job and abusing power. And exactly. You know, from the get-go. <laughs> Before she even met Tan. From the get-go. Awesome. Um, many complained and appealed and sued for unnecessary uh, taking of the children. So she would, before, again, before even meeting Tan, she was already doing her own dirty shit. She said, I'm a mother. The best thing for these kids is to be yoked from their parents. Right, right. She was also said to be, quote, flamboyant and smiling, but she never wore a robe. Oh, so she ain't even met Georgia yet. No, 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 not, not yet. Um, and she was often, often clad in fur on the bench. She always carried a, carried a colorful fan and wore a long pearl necklace and abundant corsage. This bitch was umbrage. She filled her courtroom and chambers with large, fresh flower arrangements, um, and explained, explained as a means to make the children feel more at ease. She would also like treat children of different races. Differently. I mean, it's the 20s and the 30s. I'm not surprised. Shocker, the old rich white lady in furs in court who got there through her money mm-hmm. is also tad racist. Tad. You know? Just a little bit. You know, as racist as one could be. In the South. In the South. In the 20s. In the 20s. Coming mm-hmm. for money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Uh, she would, there was even a, a point where there were children, African-American children, who were being housed in a facility who were being abused and being neglected. And she was like publicly applauding them for doing that. This was, this was some, this was somebody's grandmother. Great, 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 great grandmother. grandmother yeah. 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 To be fair. To be fair. To be fair. Most of our grandparents are trash. Love them to death. Love them. But their political views and their societal views are trash. They haven't changed. I I love them as a person, but just your ah trash because of it is how you were raised. Oh, I was I was just more like it's just not that far away though. Oh yeah no yeah no 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 because people that were born in this era. Maybe still alive, like the the danglers, like their the last of them. But their children are definitely still alive. Yes, yeah. yeah. And they're making political decisions. Mm-hmm. Run for local office. They're, yeah, in charge of laws. In charge of us. <laughs> yeah. All of us. Yeah. These people mm-hmm. that we are talking about right now, and or their children, directly, like that's hard stop because mm-hmm. like that. You know, that pretty much rounds up probably to, like, the seven people in their 70s. Mm-hmm. Anyway, just food for thought. So to recap, there was, during the the time of Georgia Tan, she was running a, an illegal baby adoption black market ring. Um, while... Dealing. It wasn't necessarily illegal at this time. Huh. It wasn't illegal during that time, though. But it was definitely frowned upon. You know? It was just like society Society was like, you shouldn't do it. And everybody's like, yeah, that makes sense. Let's not sell children on the black market. <laughs> we, we had just gotten over the whole selling of people and, like, that's not cool. And we had, like, a whole war about it and shit. And, you know... Most of the Which people... Is why, like, I'm like, how was that not a... Like, how... Is it because they were expressly children? Because I'm pretty sure at that point, like, buying and selling people was illegal. It doesn't say kids, though. It doesn't say kids. It said people, but kids not a people. <laughs> kids not a people. Kids a kid. Kids kid. Doesn't yeah. even have free thought. Yeah, they don't have rights. You can just starve them like a dog. You shouldn't starve a dog either. Yeah, whatever. Whatever, liberal. <laughs> Fucking snowflake. There was an estimate of over or around 500 deaths due to mistreatment, but there were 19 in particular that were buried at the uh, Elmwood Cemetery in Tennessee um, that Georgia had purchased. She had purchased a lot of land and she had buried at least 19 children there, but she didn't even mark the graves. She kept a running list of them. Of, you know, little little baby Estelle, little baby Joseph, you know, they're they're out there. But she didn't actually, like, put a memoriam out there. She didn't put, like, any marker or anything like that. So, um, but in 2015, the cemetery actually raised, like, $13,000 to put, to put some type of monument out there in their memory. Which is sweet. Because otherwise those kids would have just been there unmarked. Yeah, 
Yeah, at least they got something. Something, yeah. But let's talk about the investigation. So, in September of 1950, the Tennessee governor at the time, Jordan Browning, launched an investigation into the society after receiving reports from the victim's adoptive parents and concerned residents that the agency was selling children for profit. Um, Governor Browning appointed a young Memphis lawyer named Robert L. Taylor, who was a grand, the grandson of a Tennessee governor and U.S. senator of the same name, to lead the investigation. Taylor relentlessly tracked the, the transport to California and New York when Tan's accomplices uh, Alma Walton and Regina Warner would go to California and New York to sell those, what, three to six yeah, babies a week? Like three to six babies Yeah. A week. So he would kind of, like, snoop around, follow them, get plane tickets when they, you know, were going to travel to these places, kind of sit. He actually would sit, like, rows behind them on the plane and then follow them around while they were in those cities and go to the hotels when the, they were meeting up with the adoptive families and kind of just, you know, peep them out, see exactly what they're doing. Pound for pound, she was selling more babies than most drug dealers sell whatever drugs they're mm-hmm. selling. Because that was three to six each way, right? Four to six, sorry. Four it was to four to six. six. each way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a lot of pound of baby. Mm-hmm. It's moving weight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also, I'm just picturing this guy following them and, like, sitting back on the plane with, like, the newspaper. I was thinking about it with, like, with, like, <laughs> like the cutout holes for his eyes. <laughs> and just be, like, wearing a fake mustache and is like... Oh, for sure. A fake mustache on his uh, yeah, he, uh, regular he mustache. Regular mustache. <laughs> but it, it's smaller yeah. than his regular mustache. But it's still like a handlebar mustache, but it's just a smaller version of and a handlebar like, mustache. But it completely covers. <laughs> it's a different color. <laughs> he rips it off, it's like his whole mustache is revealed. He's a redhead and he's got like a brown mustache on top of it. <laughs> he's wearing a blonde wig. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so Taylor believed that, that Tam bribed Kelly initially and that Kelly, um, would later become one of the ringleaders to the point where he believed that Kelly sold children separately from Tam, Tam, and then blackmailed other political figures to keep her position. So she would like sell you a baby and then be like, ha, gotcha, bitch. (laughs) Like, the fuck? She's like, hey, I got I got this baby. She's and they, like, they they take it and she'd be like, she'd <laughs> take like, a picture of him. She'd be like, hey, sell a baby to this guy. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, he wants a baby. So that just leaves me like, what are you doing with the babies? What is she doing with them? No, what are these people doing? Um Because I mean I'm sure they're not just all popping up with kids, you know what I mean? Like to raise kids. Oh, no, 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 no. Some of them were like legitimate families looking for children uh-huh. to raise and yeah, to, I'm sure. to love and a bit. Yeah. Uh there are a lot of people just like today where you have these kids going into these foster home foster homes and they're just looking for a fucking check. Don't give a fuck about their well-being or whatever. Well, I mean if you're paying $5,000, you're not looking for a check, dog. Some of them are were though. You think? They're, yeah, well I was reading that oh, some okay. of them were just taking kids in. And just, you know, looking for also, like, government assistance. 
for for these kids. I guess 18 years of payout probably I mean, makes it worth the investment initially. And then, um, and then, well, and then she would sell them not just to uh, families, but like some, like some homes would take them in too. Because you're shelling out four to six babies a week. You got a lot of kids that you you have. You have a lot of inventory. So some sometimes you have to have a different place to house uh, to house them. Yeah, to have some place for them to be. That's fucking. And then, of course, like today, some of those people were just predators. What was it thirty years? When did I say the twenties that started? Fifties. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thirty years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fucking hustling babies. Yep. Children. So yeah, Taylor believed that you know Kelly was definitely in it. She was a hundred percent in it. But of course, when things started to come up and rumors started to be spread. She would claim that she had absolutely no idea that the operation was going on. She was like, Georgia Tan who? I don't know her. I would never do that. I'm a socialite. I'm a judge. I'm a judge. My husband is an attorney. I would never do this. Um, That's illegal. I know I do law. <laughs> I know. I studied earlier. Um, these claims... These claims were overlooked by the uh, state of Tennessee Department of Welfare due to the lack of evidence of any transactions to her. There weren't really, there wasn't a paper trail. Oh, you trail. don't say. There wasn't a paper trail. You don't trail. say she didn't take receipts mm-hmm. for selling the children. Mm-hmm. You don't say. Mm-hmm. That's wild. That's crazy. <laughs> so so they know? said, well, there's no paper trail. Crime trails. is so easy. I'm literally, it. the more we do true crime, sorry to keep derailing. One, I hate this fucking story. Two, <laughs> I hate everyone involved in this story, mm-hmm. but this j- crime is just so <laughs> fucking easy. Especially back then. Like, fuck. And you I, I feel like do... this shit still happens. So, it like, still happens. Crime it's just, is just easy. It's just, it was easier then because you, you could literally we fucking sp- murk somebody in the street and it'd be like, it was that guy. And it's we like, well, I don't know where. Billions of dollars to beat up protesters on the street. These mm-hmm. motherfuckers don't do anything. So, 50 years, 30 years of selling babies. And you, you, we can't get you because you didn't keep receipts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the people who we could ask about it were the ones buying the children or also and helping being, you sell the children. Or being blackmailed yeah. for buying children. Yep. But. Yep. Yep. Or they were poor. So we weren't really, you know. They didn't have the means to get an attorney and to help their case or anything. So it was just like, well, I'm not going to say anything because I don't have anybody on my side to help me. Yeah. So you want to know what happened to, to Georgia Tan? You know, these things are starting to come out. People are starting to be questioned. People are starting to look, point fingers. People don't want to get in trouble necessarily with the law. So, you know, they're like, well, I can tell you a little something, something as long as, you know, I'm covered. Like, I won't get in trouble or at least a lesser sentence. Well, in a cruel turn of fate, Georgia Tan died of uterine cancer on September 15th of 1950 at the ripe age of 59, three days before Governor Browning filed uh, charges against her home. The news of her death ran beside uh, the accusations of her crimes in the local newspapers. So, like, you start reading the newspaper, you see, oh, George Tan, you know, being accused of 
buying and selling children for profit. And then, oh, damn, this bitch crazy. And then you look and it's like, this bitch dead. Oh. With Tan gone, the investigation turned uh, to looking into the those surrounding Tan. In 1950, or I'm sorry, in November of 1950, Taylor, who was still working on the investigation, actually was able to tape record Kelly bribing a juvenile court employee to uh, not to implicate her in in the crimes. So, he confronted her with that evidence. And he was given the option that the investigation would end into her if she resigned from her position. So like any person, like I've been doing this dirty ass shit for years, years, using my power to manipulate people. And you're saying that I can get off scot-free, at least for the time being, if I just leave? All right, bet. In less than 24 hours, Kelly resigned from being court judge and retired. So that following, so after her retiring, you know, the the investigation still went on. Tan's dead. Kelly isn't in a position of power anymore. Uh, the, The Tennessee Children's Home Society was permanently closed in December of 1950. So, you know, four months, all of it, whole investigation just wrapped up. Nice, neat, bell. Got him. Got him off the street. We got him. Book him, Dano. Book him, Dano. <laughs> um, Kelly. Well, barrier, Dano. After being retired, being, you know, chilling in her house, living her socialite life, because she was still rich. Yeah. Um, she passed away in 1950 without any charges being brought against her, per the agreement. So easy. Mm-hmm. So easy. Got to live a whole five years. Just being just being rich and free and knowing you did some fucked up shit and just chilling. So let's talk about the aftermath. What happened after the investigation, after the TCHS was closed down? New York and California vowed to take action, but the children's adoptions were never investigated, nor were children ever restored to their um, biological parents. So those that were adopted out, you know, after Georgia Tan, or during the times of Georgia Tan, they were never reunited with their families at all. We were just, sorry, kid. Sorry that happened to you. The Tennessee Children's Home Society scandal resulted in adoption reform laws in Tennessee in 1951. Um, however, her custom way of creating false birth certificates for adoptees, which she did to, you know, hide the origins of the children, became standard, standard practice nationwide. In 1979, Tennessee adopted legislation that required the state to assist siblings who were trying to find each other while a bill extended the this provision to birth parents, but it, it didn't pass, unfortunately. In 1996, the state of Tennessee enacted uh, Chapter 532 of the Tennessee Public Acts of 1996, which revised the process of obtaining adoption records by releasing them to the adult adoptees of the Tennessee Children's Home Society upon receiving permission from living parents. Prior to the 1920s, adoption was a rare practice in the United States, and with the Boston Children's Aid Society placing only five children per year, whereas in 1928, Tan placed 206 children with adoptive families. Even though her methods were less than favorable 
those children who were adopted, who actually needed to be adopted, you know, they did come from homes that weren't able to care for them correctly. And they were placed with home into homes that did appreciate them and did take care of them and did, you know, help them towards a better future. It's just like, I don't want to say good job for that, but I am happy that those kids were able to have a better life. My thing's just like, has anyone just considered, like, maybe if we just made, like, the orphanages and the shit foster shit better? Mm-hmm. Not foster homes, but, like, foster houses. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? Where your group homes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you just made them better living environments and, like, cared about the kids in there. Like, instead of just throwing them out to whatever fucking people come in looking for a kid. Because it, it has to be a revolving door. And then, you know, it becomes a business. Mm-hmm. Then you got quotas to make. Mm-hmm. So I need more kids mm-hmm. to come in to be adopted. You know, just... And I can't speak on other like countries because I don't live there. But it is such an American culture to just accept that you can't do good just to do good because it's the right thing to do if you're not profiting some way from and it. And a lot. Yeah. Well, profiting at all, you know, if you're just doing it for for good forever, that's weird. You need to be making some money. But then also, okay, you're making a little bit of money. You could make more money. And it's, why not? Why not make the most money at the expense of other people's lives? Run for local office. So like we said before, talking about adoptions and how they, that this case influenced how adoptions are how adoptions are done today. Um, Still, adoptees don't necessarily have rights to their birthing information, just like as a given. In some of the states, they have to, like in all the states, they have to apply for the information. But in some of the states, um, the adoptive parents can just say, I don't want them to know anything about it. You can apply to have that information. Go ahead. Which is like just for medical purpose alone. Like medical history mm-hmm. shit is, mm-hmm. is, is wild. It's crazy. You can apply to, to have your, to receive the adoptive, your biological parents information. And it's like a lot of, you have to be a certain age, like at least over 18. But they, your parents can, in some of these states can be like, oh. I don't want them to know. And each time that you apply for that that information, they can deny it. Stipulation should be you have to provide your medical history. Right. At least give At that least access. that. At least give that. You're just like, I don't care what your name and is. Like, I her- want maybe heritage or something. Right. Like, if people care. Right. It's just like I don't care what your name is. I you know, I don't want to talk to you. I just right. want to make sure that Who the I'm fuck healthy. Am I? Right, exactly. Because you know? it's just like I don't get that. Or just knowing like where my blood would have came, you know what I mean? Right. I mean some people care it's a weird thing to care about in the end, but like I mean I get some people caring about it. I wanted to read uh Delaware's. So okay. Adult adoptees who are 21 and above. So you you have to be 21 to be able to drinking age. You, literally. You're going to need it. Uh-huh. Um, can apply for a copy of their original birth certificate. However, birth parents can file a written uh, notarized document to block the release of their information to the adoptee. This must be renewed every three years. 
Once an adoptee has formally requested their original birth certificate, the Office of Vital Statistics uh, makes a reasonable effort to locate the birth parent and notify them of the, of the request. If the birth parent has not filed a document to block the release of their information, the adoptee is given a copy of their original birth certificate after 65 days. So you got to hope that your birth parent, A, just isn't, doesn't check their mail that often or wants to actually have a relationship with you or talk to you or, you know, doesn't mind that you have this information or know anything about them. Because if they don't want, literally don't want anything to do with you, they have the right to be able to say, no, you don't get to know. That's fucked up. It's mind boggling. <laughs> And so with some of those kids that went through that home, that's exactly what they were going through. I mean, the, the, the laws have changed now, but, and and I don't know if back then they were more strict where like you, you literally can't, but some of those kids were literally stolen. Their parents didn't give them up. They were stolen off the street, stolen. And then you're not able to access information of where you came from because your family is still looking for you. And this is before the Internet. This is before, you know, you being able to, to talk to other people in differing states. If you didn't necessarily know them, you had phone books, maybe. But I mean, they're still looking for you and possibly, you know, I don't know how how soon you or how late you give up um, on looking for somebody you might still look for some of them but like passively but then you're you're not able to see flyers or anything like we have now milk cartons or anything like that not knowing where you came from not knowing your actual birthday no and then finding out because you're you're young you're a baby when this is all happening growing up thinking these are your parents finding out you're adopted and finding out that you got stolen we're living in this house with this literal monster. Yeah. And that this is still going on today. Not maybe not necessarily to to that extent, but maybe even more. But the fact that legally there are such strict laws against adoptees to be able to seems like a setup to not get caught the next time. To request information about where they came from. This one is in Georgia. A court order is required to obtain the original birth certificate. Adult adoptees who are age 21 and above can request the names of birth parents, but those names will only be released if the birth parents have submitted a written consent. In cases where birth parents have not submitted written consent, the Georgia Adoption Reunion Registry attempts to locate and notify the adoptees um, of the adoptees' request and then gain consent. This method is identical for birth parents or adult birth siblings attempting to relocate uh, relinquished children. Uh, If the adoptee is deceased or their child or children wish to conduct a search for their biological parents, they can do so at age 21 using the same procedure. So George is a little bit better at it in in the sense of they will actually go out and assist. Delaware said, nah, you're good. They don't want to talk to you. Yeah, this episode, 
It's a conclusion. Um, if you guys want to learn more about the different laws for adoptees, um, there is a website called AmericanAdoptionCongress.org, which lists adoption laws for all 50 states as well as Canada and Washington, D.C., and has other like helpful resources regarding adoption and adoption laws. Um, and like, let's try to fight for more rights for people that are being adopted. Fight for all bodily rights. Yeah. You know, the, never mind. I'm not even going to get started. No, let's not get started. We could prevent the foster care system from being overwhelmingly flooded mm-hmm. with children. That was this episode. It was a little heavier of an episode. Like the true crime ones always are. That's why we don't do too many of them because they're they're pretty heavy. Um, we have spicy sadness. Spicy. Next week. Fun times. Fun times. We're back to the, we're back to spooky. We're back to the creepy. Thank you guys so much for listening. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and TikTok at the Spooky Z Pod. Like, share, subscribe in all places you can do so. And share this with your mom. Oh, yeah. Don't forget to tell your mom I said hi. Hi, mom. Hi, moms. <laughs> also, to, the, to your mom, and you know who. Tell her I really want my Switch back. Bye. We'll see you guys next week. Bye.